Hello and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch, a church situated in Cape Town, South Africa. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that this will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. Amen. So we, we're talking about uh, the Holy Spirit over the last couple of weeks, and we, we, we're really... Um, haven't even yet, I believe, started getting into the depths of what we're actually wanting to talk about. Uh, we will in coming weeks. We've been focusing on how we're filled with the Spirit. We've got the Spirit of God because that's what Christianity is. But there's a couple other things that we've been focusing on, like how to uh, walk in the Spirit, how to live in the Spirit. And I can't even remember all the other things. But, but tonight, we're going to build on that. And I was really, as I was just... Uh, praying about tonight, the first thing that really just struck my heart was the thought, are you using or taking advantage of salvation to the full? Think about it for a moment. Are you taking advantage of your salvation to the full? Most people, the way that they get saved determines that the way they live their salvation. What I mean by that is, if it's a get out of hell free card, then that's what we keep it for like i'm going to heaven in my pocket that's awesome but then we don't live like like we're from heaven or we don't live like we're going there we just live as we want and we don't impact anyone we don't have fruitfulness why because we're more focused in on i'm going to heaven i've got salvation then you've got some people who who come to christ for health wealth and happiness and uh, uh that's their that's what they're seeking in the christian life but Christianity is something much greater than that. Okay? There's no scriptures on the screen tonight, but you've got a Bible or a phone. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 is a very uh, common scripture. It's a, probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, the first one. Uh, I call it a fridge magnet scripture because it's something that you have on your fridge. It's something that you have on a bumper sticker and a keychain, all sorts of things. Uh, but most people don't think about what it actually means. Okay, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that anyone who believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God loved, because of love, God sent Jesus to do what He did so that if we just believe, we wouldn't perish but we would have eternal life. So eternal life was the goal of why Jesus came. Eternal life. I like verse 17. Uh, of John chapter 3 because it says God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but to save it God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it but to save it and yet most of the world have this impression that Jesus is out to condemn them what does that mean make you feel bad for everything you've done wrong and everything you haven't done that you should have done and why does the world think that? Because the church, which is representing Jesus, often puts that on people. And we are some of the biggest culprits to make people feel uh, unworthy, to make them feel um, uh, uh, condemned, to make them feel unloved. Because we treat them, unfortunately, Christians are, 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 are the culprits, not Jesus, <laughs> but Christians are the culprits in doing a bad job at representing God. Okay? If, if God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save it, then surely that's got to mean something for our purpose. Because Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, 
so send I you. So if He sent Jesus not to condemn but to rescue, then our job isn't to condemn but to rescue. And if you think about it, not condemning but rescuing is actually grace. Because we're not treating people as they deserve. Jesus wasn't treating us as we deserve. He was treating us far better than we deserve. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 shows how Jesus was in such a beautiful way. It says, uh, 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 Then drew near the sinners and the tax collectors because they wanted to hear what he had to say. So here you have Jesus... And, he, and he's got the, the, the sinners, he's got tax collectors, he's got all these... Yeah, tax collectors must be the worst, right? So you've got the sinners and you've got... Ta- if you work for SARS, we love you. So you've got, you've got sinners and you've got tax collectors, you've got all this, this riffraff, like I would just label them, coming together for what purpose? I want to hear what Jesus has to say. They weren't coming together uh, uh, because they were forced. It wasn't religious obligation. It wasn't because they felt like if they don't, Jesus is going to be mad with them. Something in Jesus drew them to Him. And so, if, as, if we're supposed to be like Jesus and how we live, then surely that's got to count for something for us. That should be an example. That sinners, because we're not sinners, we, we make mistakes, amen? But we're not sinners. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> okay? We're, we're, we're righteous. That's our nature now. But as believers, as children of God, surely we should act like Jesus. We should live like Jesus. What does that look like? Not condemning people. How do we condemn people usually? We make them feel like they're not good enough. It should never be like that. Okay, but the purpose of Jesus' coming was eternal life. John chapter 17 verse 3 says, This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, 3, from the King James, saying that eternal life is knowing God. So, the whole purpose of Jesus' coming was that we would know God. And I mean, he even said in John, the, the, um, what did he say? He said uh, that he's the only way to the Father. So the only way to know God is Jesus. The only way to to the Father is Jesus. The only way to know Him is Jesus. Okay, if you look at John 17, 3 in the Amplified, it's amazing. It says, this is eternal life. It means to know, to perceive, to recognize, become acquainted with and understand you, the only true and real God, and likewise to know Him, Jesus, as the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, whom you have sent. You know, what I like in this, firstly, I need to say that it's alluding to, you know, I've said this often. The New Testament is, uh, is a commentary on the Old Testament. When Paul's writing his letters, he's not going like this and trying to get something new. He's, there's nothing new that Paul says. All that Paul's doing and Peter's doing and John is doing is they're commenting on what the scriptures of Genesis to Malachi have said. And that's, that's significant because it shows that the Bible's in harmony. We don't throw out the old. The old gives a richer foundation to the new. And so, uh, 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 this John 17 verse 3 is a, a, a reference to Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
So it's ref- he's bringing an idea from the old, from Genesis to Malachi, to teach us about salvation. Okay? And one of the things he's saying is that Jesus is God. That's one of the things that he's saying flat out in John 17 verse 3. And what he's bringing out, the idea he's bringing out is that you can know this God. Now, other verses, if you put them all together, it's, are, are kind of showing us that salvation isn't just, eternal life isn't just a friendship like I have with Lucas or with Etienne or with Ben or with Jamie or with whoever. It's not, it's not talking about a relationship that I even have with my wife. Marna, it's talking about a, a relationship, a friendship, an intimacy, yes, but also a positional relationship. What is a positional relationship? Your position to that chair right now is that you're sitting on it. <laughs> My position right now with Christ is I'm one with Him. So eternal life is also a union with Christ. It's being one with Him. It's being filled with Him. Okay? So... This is what it's about, our oneness with Him, salvation. And living from that place of oneness. Uh, um, Religion will always try and get you to focus on trying to get closer to God. Religion will always try and get you uh, focused in on where is God and why is He not coming through for me and why can't I feel the presence of God or why is God not speaking to me or whatever the case is. But the, 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 the truth of the matter is, is that if you're a believer, God's not going anywhere. Even on your worst day. We'll look at a verse of that just now. But God's not going anywhere. You're one with Him always. He filled you the day you believed, and that was it for eternity. That's, that's security, don't you think? Your salvation isn't dependent on your actions. Your salvation isn't dependent on what you do or don't do. Your salvation is dependent on believing the gospel. And the response from God when you believe the gospel is you're filled with Him. And when you're filled with Him, He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to abandon you. People will abandon you, but God won't. That's good news, right? So often, we're focused in on sin. We're focusing on trying to deal with sin. I was in a Christian bookshop recently. Lucas and I were in a Christian bookshop. And, you know, I haven't been in ages. I was looking for one or two things. And it's amazing how many books focus on sin. How many books focus on dealing with sin. And yet, there are some books, but they're in, in, in the minority of focusing on what Jesus has done and is freely offering us and focusing on grace. The, 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 the number of books is increasing. But it's unfortunate that even in in Christian circles, we focus more on sin and dealing with sin because we want to get closer to God. It's a good desire. It's just misinformed. We have this desire. I want to please God. I want to know God. So now I'm going to deal with my sin. I'm going to deal with the things I'm struggling with. I'm going to clean up my act. And what happens with that? It prevents you from intimacy with it. The thing that you're aiming for, you're building a wall against. You can never, ever be intimate with God while you're focused on sin. Even trying to deal with sin doesn't work. The more intimate you are with Jesus, the more you focus in on Him and and you enjoy your relationship with Him, the less you'll sin. You deal with sin by focusing on Jesus. You don't uh, 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 deal with 
uh, uh, let me say it like this. You, 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 you deal with sin through relationship with Jesus. You don't deal with sin to have relationship with Jesus. You deal with sin by having relationship with Jesus. By, by enjoying Him. By receiving from Him. By focusing on what it's done for you. But you never grow in intimacy by focusing on sin. That, that's good news. I mean, it's not what I grew up hearing. But that's, that's good news because it sets you free to have relationship with God, to enjoy intimacy with Him. Intimacy will lead to victory. Intimacy, intimacy will lead to freedom. Here, here's why. Because what you focus on, you give power to. What you focus on in your life is what you're giving power to. If you're going to focus on, I need to deal with this sin. I, I spoke about it last week. I had the illustration with the chairs and everything like that. You know, and that was my way of focusing on sin to try and deal with the sin in my life. And we thought we were being spiritual, but we weren't. All it's doing, if, if something's taking the focus off of Jesus and what He's done, it's not very spiritual, right? I want to use so many good examples, but I don't want to lose you. So let's move on. So many Christians are striving for what they already have. And it's always with a pure motive of, I want to please God. I want to get closer to God. When, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 and let me show you something here. You know, our desire is right and that we're wanting to please God. We're wanting to, it's a pure motive. It's good, right? It, it's good to want to do the right thing. But the motivation determines the fruitfulness or the lack thereof. The motivation is key and it's got to be based on truth. Let's be honest. It's got to be based on truth. The truth of the matter is you cannot get closer to God than you already are. So now Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, and this is something we focused in for the first couple of months of, of, of Grace Life Rondebosch. He's praying in verse 16 and he says that he ceases not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And it goes on. What I want to show you is that Paul is praying for them. Paul's writing his prayer for the church at Ephesus. And what is he praying? Not for a, a mighty move of the Spirit. He's not praying for more miracles. He's not praying for a, 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 a something like that. He's praying that we would have an understanding of what we already have. Because that's the problem for any Christian. The problem isn't how big the devil is or, how, how, or anything like that. The problem is, is that we don't know what we've got. We don't know what happened to us when we received Christ and got born again. When we don't know what happened to us, then we can't operate in that. We don't, if we don't know what happened to us, we can't operate like that. If you don't know that you're righteous, you can't live righteous. You're always going to try to be righteous. But if you know you're righteous, then it's like, wow, I can actually be like that. I can do that. So even Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 is praying that we would have a revelation of something. Not to chase something, but to realize something. Christian maturity. Think about it for a moment. Don't say anything out loud. Think about Christian maturity for a moment. How do you become mature as a Christian? Never mind what that means. But how do you become mature? 
How do you become a mature believer? It's not through anything that you do. It's not because you got baptized in water. It's not because you got filled with the Spirit. It's not because you fasted and prayed. It's not because you serve in church. A lot of those things, not all of those things, but a lot of those things are simply a reflection of maturity. Or in the in maturing process. But the reality is, is that um, you, 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 you mature. The only way to mature is through understanding. The only way to mature is through knowledge. And the knowledge that we get from the Word should lead us to growing in our intimacy with Jesus. And the intimacy will give birth to fruitfulness where I want to serve. I want to give. I want to be part of. I want to live holy. I want to live right. I want to whatever. So many Christians are striving for what they already have. They, you know, they want change in their life. They want change in their life. You might be sitting there saying, I want change in my life. So you're pursuing the change that you desire. But if you pursue God, you get the change. You're seeking the wrong thing. You can't know Jesus by dealing with your sin. But knowing Jesus will deal with your sin. So let's look at the new creation reality. That we're one with Him. Okay, you'll want to see this, I'm sure. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's a passage that we've looked at a couple of times, but it really is important that we see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 to 20. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Think about that for a moment. Don't you realize that your bodies... Not your minds or your spirits or anything, but your bodies are part of Christ. Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he's become one body with her? For the scripture says the two are united into one. So this is talking about how flesh becomes one. Okay, How, how we become one physically with, with, with someone. And then it says in verse 17, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So this takes it to a deeper level. Now, when we read these verses, we can tend to focus in on the sexual immorality and things like that and completely miss the point of what's being said. Because one of the things that is helpful to know is Paul's writing to a church which is struggling with many different things, with incest, with uh, sexual immorality of different kinds and with racism and division and things like that. They're struggling with a whole host of things. And you know what he says to them? He says, verse 17, the person that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He's saying, hey, you're one with God. And then he goes on and we'll look at it now. He's saying, God lives in you. So we'll come back to this now, but then look, he says, but the person who is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So often we look at this and we focus in on the run from sexual sin and we think so that I can be close to God. This verse is saying the opposite. This verse is saying, run from sexual sin because you're close to God. Run from sin because you're one with Him. Because He lives in you. 
The motivation needs to be right for the freedom to be to, to, to give birth to, to true freedom. And the motivation is our love and relationship with God, which causes me to live right, which causes me to run to Him and away from sin. I'm not running from sin to try and be closer to God. I'm running from sin because I'm close to God. Then you don't have to try and hate sin when you love Jesus. The motivation is completely different. Look at the next verse. Verse 19. Don't you realize that your body, he's telling people to run from sexual sin, who are, because they're in sexual sin. And then he says, don't you know that your body, which you're now joining to a prostitute or you're joining to someone else, he's saying, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Isn't that beautiful? I, I always thought, when I make mistakes, when I sin, God goes. And now I need to try and get him back. God, where are you? Please come visit me. Whatever. But it's like the, the, the reason why I can enjoy intimacy with God isn't because I'm doing right, but it's because of His grace. It's because of His love. It's because He's not treating me as I deserve. And when I come to know Him and focus in on His goodness and His love and His grace, it'll cause me to want to run from everything that, that, that offends Him or hurts His heart. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 from the New Living. I'm going to read two verses or a couple more verses. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 <clears throat> says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Because we are united with Christ. Or the King James puts it, in Christ. This is your spiritual reality as a believer. You're one with Him. You're in Him. You're united to Him. Now we need to live from that reality. We've got to realize, because most people go to church to meet with God. Most people on Monday mornings, like uh, they're missing the high that they experienced on a Sunday from church. And they're like, because God was there. He moved. We could experience His presence. You know, whatever the case is. But on a Monday morning when you wake up, or on a Wednesday morning when the week's got a bit rough, after two or three days, or Thursday, or whatever. You know, when, when, during the week we should wake up and go, wow, God is here. God is with me. God is here right now. It shouldn't be a case of, of, of looking for Him and wishing for the Sunday or wishing for the opportunity to, to fellowship with, with Him on a Sunday at church. You came to church to meet with me <laughs> and to meet with everybody else. You didn't come to meet with God because you could have stayed home and done that. But God wanted you here so we could benefit from you being here. And the, the, the Word and, and what we receive through ministering to each other should cause us to grow in our intimacy with God. But not our intimacy before we leave here. Our intimacy when we leave here. When you go home and you're alone. Now all of a sudden you, you can experience God at home because you've learned something at church. So Ephesians 1 verse 11 from the New Living Translation says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance. Because we are united with Christ, 
We need to have this so set as our default. I'm one with Him. I'm united with Him for eternity. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Romans 8, verse 8. We're looking at new creation realities. And it's all about the Spirit being in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says, That's why those who still... Who are, still, who are still, excuse me, under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. How much condemnation do you feel right now? <laughs> Wait for it. Read on. There's more there. I'm going to read it again though, just so you can feel a bit heavier. That, that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. If you're a Christian, Jesus lives in you. And now you're not under the control of the sinful nature. That's dead. That's gone. You can still make mistakes because you think wrong. But you don't have a drive in you to do wrong. Might feel like it, but that's because of your thinking. It's not because of a nature. Your new nature is you're 100% righteous, right with God. His Spirit came to live in you and it made you like Jesus. Right now, you are just like Jesus in your spirit. You don't maybe act like it, think like it. And maybe your jokes aren't like Jesus' kind of jokes. <laughs> The point is, is we don't always live and act like Jesus. But it doesn't change our, our, our um, identity. We are like Him. Verse 10. Romans 8.10 And Christ lives within you. So throughout this passage of Scripture, the, 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 the Paul, the writer, is reaffirming continuously the Spirit of God lives in you. That's what he keeps reaffirming. The Spirit of God lives in you. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. So this is talking about one day when you die. When you close your eyes, the Spirit within you gives you, you've you got a new life. You've got eternal life. That you're living forever. Eternal life started already for you, if you're a Christian. When you close your eyes in this body, it's not over. You open them in the, you, you open your spiritual eyes in the next life. Verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Here's my point with all of this. If we believe all of this, it needs to be, lead to something. If we believe this, then it's got to lead to something. If we believe that we're one with Him, it should change the way we live. If we believe we're one with Him and that He's in us and He never leaves us and He never forsakes us, fear, anxiety and worry should get less and less and less and should become a thing of the past. 
we shouldn't be worried about things if we're, we, will, we won't worry about things and we won't be anxious about anything if we're focused on Christ is in me, Christ is with me. You can have the worst day of your life and still be happy because you know that God is with you. How do we know that? The psalmist wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So just for a moment, picture the valley of the shadow of death and what that would look like for you. All your worst fears, all in one room. <laughs> the most horrific things ever. Can okay, I stop before you get upset? Now think, like all of that, it's like, even though you're walking through it, God's with you. And you don't have to fear any of that evil because God's with you. What I like there is it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which means you're not camping there. When you get into a tight spot, it's not forever. It's not your, your destination. It's not your portion. It's not what God's got for you. There's something further. And you just got to keep walking through. Knowing that He's with you, you'll get through it. Amen? But believing that we're one with Him should lead to something. It should even lead to greater works than these. 1 John 5, verse 1 and verse 4. 1 John 5, verse 1 and verse 4 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves His children too. This is showing us firstly, it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the, the Son of God, the Promised One, the Sent One, has become a child of God. Now, if you're a child of God, it means you've got His DNA. It means you're like Him. It means that, 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 that you're part of His family. Okay? Then verse 4 says, every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. So what I want you to see here is that we have the ability of God because we're born of God. You have the ability of God because you're born of God. Now what does that mean? It means that you can do what Jesus did because Jesus is in you and you're born from the same DNA, you could say. Born of God. So the Christian life is really lived from the Spirit which is Christ in us, our hope of glory, and Christ through us. Amen? Amen? And we see this, I'm not going to get into the book of Acts today, but we see this throughout the book of Acts. We see people hearing the gospel, people believing the gospel, people receiving the Spirit, and straight away, what happens? Gifts are manifested. They're praying in tongues, they're prophesying, and they've got a boldness about them. I'm yet to find in the book of Acts an example where someone gets born again and they live a defeated life. I'm yet to see that someone gets saved and now all of a sudden they're, 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 they're struggling to be bold about their faith. Maybe those people didn't make it to the, the, the records, but I think if we needed to know that they, that was possible, it would have been written. The, the, the word, the Bible is written for our benefit. And so everything that's written in there is for our benefit. We shouldn't look to what's not written. We should look to what is written. And so we don't look for permission to live a, a weak life. We don't look for permission to, to, to live a powerless life. We look to the book of Acts and we see what we can do. There's no description of, of, of weakness there. There's no description of you can't, you can't operate in healing. 
There's no description of, or, or example of not being able to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Step into the flow of the Spirit. Because this is all about Christ's ability in you and Christ's ability through you. Okay? If you, the Christian life isn't just about going to church and reading your Bible and praying every day. Praying every day. Praying every day. So that you can grow, grow, grow. Right? It, it's about the Spirit within and the relationship and intimacy I can enjoy with Jesus and then the fruitfulness that that bears in me being love wherever I go. In me being able to minister encouragement to people who are discouraged. You're allowed to be discouraged. But you should never be. <laughs> you're allowed to, to, to be discouraged, but you should never be. The only reason you would be discouraged is because you're not focused in on Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you are consumed with who you are in Christ, you'll never be discouraged. I have many opportunities to be discouraged and I'm discouraged often. <laughs> and in those moments, I always turn my attention to Christ in me and I get out of it. The problems don't go away, but they become much easier to deal with. Amen? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not going to get to talk about all the gifts of the Spirit or any of the gifts of the Spirit, but I just want to introduce the gifts of the Spirit now as part of our focus in on the Spirit within and learning to flow in the gifts of the Spirit and all of that. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, firstly, the Amplified Classic Version says, Now about the spiritual gifts, the special endowments of supernatural energy. Brethren, I do not want you to be misinformed. And it's sad that a lot of the body of Christ, the church worldwide, is misinformed about the spiritual gifts. One of the, the misinformation, and we'll clear this up in the weeks to come, but one of the, the misinformation is that it's just for some special people who stand at the pulpit. And we all gather around the, the special people. I mean, I'm very special, but we all gather around the special people at the pulpit to be able to receive something from God. As if you've got no spirit and I've got the spirit. You know, I've got the spirit. Yes, I do. I'm going to leave it there. The point is, is that you've got the spirit as well. Is that the problem is, is that some, a lot of Christians don't realize it. They don't know what they've got. That's why they go prayer shopping. You know what prayer shopping is? You need a miracle, so you go from man of God to woman of God to man of God to woman of God, looking for your answer. We've seen this at conferences we've had over the years. We never see people in church getting established in the truth of the word. We see them at every conference, sitting right behind the guest speaker, hoping to get a touch from God. It's like, where, you, where, where do you go to church? Oh, you go to that church which doesn't believe in healing. That's interesting. And you're looking for healing here. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, what makes sense? The reason why they don't have healing. Because they're feeding on garbage and looking for the, something that's, that's not going to get there because they're not feeding on the right thing. The Passion puts 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 like this. It says, My fellow believers, I don't want you to be confused about spiritual realities. I like this better. It's not, when we think of spiritual gifts, a lot of mis, like, uh, uh, understanding comes in. Because we think about a gift. 
that's given to us and we're like wow I, I like getting gifts i'm sure you do too it's like wow here's a gift let me unwrap it so, wow thank you so much it's so awesome whatever but the point is it's like the spiritual gifts aren't for you the spiritual gifts are for through you they're not for you your spiritual gift is for me not for you your spiritual gift is for the world not for you. I mean, if you've got the gift of prophesying, now let's say we're all going to go home and prophesy to ourselves in our cupboards. <laughs> You're standing in front of the mirror, I prophesy. <laughs> it's like, what good is that going to do? You've got a word of knowledge for yourself. <laughs> it's like, that doesn't work, does it? Because it wasn't really a word of knowledge. Because you knew about it. You know everything about you, or most things. But word of knowledge is, is when I say, hey, something happened to you this week. It was like this and this and this. And you're like, how did you know that? It's like, that was a, a God speaking to me and wanting to minister to you. That's a spiritual gift. It's in me and through me. So I like spiritual realities because uh, it could also be like spiritual things. Because the implication of it is that it's, 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 making, it's showing that we are spiritual. It's not showing that we have something spiritual. We are spiritual. As believers, we need to see ourselves as spiritual. We don't need to see ourselves as doing spiritual or having something spiritual, but see yourself as spiritual. You've got the Spirit of God in you. Amen? The Spirit of God in you gives you an ability. And that ability is Jesus. Part of the ability is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can live like Jesus in His nature. But part of the ability of Christ in you is also His power. Being able to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Being able to, to live in the supernatural realm. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1 in the Message Translation says, I want, or sorry, what I want to talk to you about now is the various ways God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. This is complex and often misunderstood. But I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. So Paul's saying, he wants us to understand the things of the Spirit. Why? Because understanding brings fruitfulness. It's amazing how many people, how many Christians, desire to operate in the abilities or the gifts of the Spirit. How many people would love to like work miracles or work whatever, uh, operating gifts of healing or prof uh, prophecy or whatever the case is? There may be different, differing motivations or reasons, but like how many Christians desire that, but they have no understanding about those things at all? No understanding. So what does that lead to? No fruit. Understanding brings fruitfulness. So this means teaching. This is why we need to teach on these things. We need to study these things. And then we need to pursue them. Okay? 1, uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Neglect. Now Paul's writing to Timothy. And he's saying, Neglect not the gift that is in you. The gift is referring to the Holy Spirit. The gift is referring to the ability of the Spirit in him. Not talking about just teaching or just prophecy or just something. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Don't neglect the gift that's in you. Okay? 
neglect. Let's talk about the word neglect for a moment. If you neglect a friendship, what happens? It can die. You neglect. Let, 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 let's talk about something maybe uh, uh, more real for you. What happens if you neglect a pot plant? It dies. <laughs> what happens if you neglect a, a goldfish or a dog? Yeah, these things will eventually die unless the plant is plastic. Yeah, these things will die. I know people who've watered plants for years and they're like, my, I've never watered plastic plants for years. And they're like, mine never die. And they don't even realize. It's funny, eh? But the point is, is that when we neglect something, it kind of just like dies down. The Spirit of God will never die within you. Amen? But neglecting Him will cause you not to enjoy Him. Will cause you not to experience what He's got for you. So this is a mature statement, and it shouldn't bring condemnation, but our failure to walk in the Spirit and flow in the gifts or the abilities of the Spirit is only ever the failure of us. It's not the Spirit's failure. It's not God saying, not today. <laughs> it's not God saying, ah, ah, I'm holding you back. God might say, not now, but you get to choose if it's now or not. That's disobedience and obedience, right? But God is always on. And He always wants to flow. We just need to make space and focus so that we can see the fruitfulness. You can be full of the Spirit and never function in the Spirit. You can be full of the Spirit. You are full of the Spirit and you're not functioning in the Spirit. I don't function in the Spirit 24-7. <laughs> Sometimes I'm carnal. I have food. I eat. That's carnal. It's not bad. It's not sin. But I'm not always like switched on to, to, to what is the Spirit of God wanting to do in this situation. Just after worship, when I came down, I was switched on to see what is the Spirit of God want to do. And I had a few words. Now imagine if we did that more often. I've been in, in restaurants and at uh, petrol stations and things and in public. And, and all of a sudden it's like, I, 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 sometimes I'm just not in tune with what the Spirit's doing. I'm not flowing in the Spirit. And so then it's just a normal transaction. But sometimes I'm like tuned in and, and I'll have a word for them and I'll minister to them and it'll be something life-changing. Yes. That's where God wants us to live. But the reason why we don't all flow like that is because majority of us neglect that. And over the next couple of weeks, we want to investigate this, the, the ability of the Spirit that we get to walk in so that we can start to see an overflow in our lives and see people's lives around us being touched. It's not about having an amazing service where we're prophesying over each other, although that's fine, I'm happy with that, or healing, or whatever. But it's about us leaving here and having an amazing week in living in the Spirit, living out the Spirit there, so that people's lives are changed where it matters most. The abilities of the Spirit don't just fall on you. You need to step into it. You need to express it. Just like you need to choose love. Love doesn't fall on you. You choose it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 from the Passion says, I'm writing, 2 Timothy 1, 6, I'm writing to encourage you to fan into flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God imparted to you. So the spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit in you needs to be stirred up within you. It, he needs to be, uh, if you don't stir it up, it kind of just settles to the bottom. The New Living puts it like this. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. We need to stir up what's inside of us. 
How do we stir up what's inside of us? Well, firstly, by knowing and focusing on who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. If you don't believe the truth about that, you won't flow in the truth of that. What do I mean by that? Some of us believe sometimes God wants to, to heal and sometimes God doesn't want to heal. Which means you're probably not going to, to, to see too many healings through your life or in your life. But if you realize the truth that God's nature is healing and He always wants to heal, then you've always got a green light to minister healing. And you're not sitting there like I was once many years back going, I wonder if God wants to heal this person now or if He's still teaching them something. Because if you think like that, then you're always going to be holding back. And most Christians, we might not believe that, but we, we treat life as if we're sitting at a red robot, a red traffic light, waiting for God to say go. And yet when you read through the Bible, there's no, there's no indication that He's holding you back. You're holding you back. Because the, 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 the invitation has already been given to go into all the world. To lay hands on the sick and see them recover. To preach the gospel. To be able to encourage people. You know, you, it's, 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 it's um, another passage, we'll look at it, 1 Corinthians, I think it is 12, says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. What does that mean? It's like you've got a tap on inside of you. And you decide when the water flows and when it doesn't. The spirit of the prophet is subject, is under the prophet's control. A prophet Someone who's prophesying has the, the, can make the decision. I'm going to give this word or I'm not going to give this word. Someone who's, who, you, you know, you're going to minister healing. You've got the decision. Am I going to lay hands or am I not going to lay hands? We stir up by knowing what, we're allow, what we've got and then knowing what we can do because of what we've got. But here's the thing. It comes down to also what are we pursuing? What are we pursuing? And for me, when I was kind of thinking about this all and meditating on it, this struck me the most. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This really struck me because I was like, I need to focus more. Shane needs to focus more. Shane needs to, 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 to make sure that his focus is more because I'm busy. So I'm not always focused in on how can I flow in the Spirit right now until I'm sitting in a situation where I need to. <laughs> But I need to take more time to focus and hear from God and, and receive from Him, not just like now, or when I, when, you know, but, but in every aspect of life. Because as long as we're satisfied with living without the power of the Spirit and without the direction of the Spirit, without the input from the Spirit, without the, the, the Word from God, we will. Our life, the, the way we're living our lives is the way we've determined to live our lives with this, with, in this area. And sometimes we pursue it, sometimes we, we don't see what we're desiring, but we keep pursuing until it's not over until it's over. But here's the thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, Amplified Classic. So it is with yourselves, since you are so eager and ambitious to possess spiritual endowments and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, Concentrate on striving to excel and to abound in them in ways that will build up the church. This verse is key and we'll come back to it a number of times over the next couple of weeks. But firstly, it's saying that spiritual gifts, the purpose of them is to build up the church. Not to build up you, not to build up your ministry, 
but to build up the family of God, to build up the church. Sunday gathering is an equipping moment. It's not a receiving moment as much as it is an equipping moment. You come to receive, come receive, we'll bless you, we'll love on you, all of that. But the purpose of us gathering is to be equipped so we can go out. So we can be a blessing, so we can be effective in everyday life. But I like what this verse says. It says, uh, Paul's writing and he says, Since you are so eager and ambitious to possess spiritual endowments and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. When I read that, I was like, I had to ask myself the question. Am I eager and ambitious to possess spiritual endowments, empowering and manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Am I eager and ambitious? Eager, meaning I'm zealous for it. I desire it. What's the other word? Ambitious, that I'm actually pursuing. I'm going for it. Because most people are eager, but they're not ambitious. We desire it, but we're not going for it. What are we going for? Everything else. We need passion. We need desire. But we need knowledge so that we can go in the right direction. So that we can pursue the right things. We need to know where we're pursuing. We need to know so that we can grow in those areas. So teaching is vital because understanding brings fruitfulness. Okay? There was a key verse that I had which I didn't see. It's not in my notes. And what's it? Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. <clears throat> so this fits in nicely with the whole thing of what are we pursuing? What are we eager about? How, you can ask yourself this. How am I spending my time? How am I spending my focus? How am I spending my energy? And it's not about working to deserve, but it's about focus. Am I focused in on the things of God? Because as long as I'm not focused, as long, then I'm not going to be pursuing that. And as long as I'm not pursuing the things of God, it's because of my focus, I'm not going to experience that. Some people, you know, uh, uh, let's leave that for now, but you understand. God's desire is to express Himself through you. This is the key. God's, God lives in you, if you're a Christian. God lives in you, not because you did something right, but because you believe the gospel. Now his desire is to express himself through you, in word and in deed, and in action. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, last verse. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when you plead, come back to God. Did you know God cannot preach the gospel? <laughs> God cannot, He's limited Himself. He cannot preach the gospel. How do I know that? He said, All authority, Jesus said, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, therefore go. So He commissioned us to go and preach the gospel. Did you know? God can't just heal someone. <laughs> because we've got to either minister healing or healing needs to be received some people just get better but that's physical it's a natural recovery but healing is ministered or it's received you can receive it without someone ministering to you but some people will never receive it because they don't know how they need it ministered to them that's why jesus said lay hands on the sick and they shall recover the point is as god's desire is to express himself through us 
Some people will never be encouraged because they cannot hear the voice of God. They don't know what God's saying to them. And it needs, they need you to be able to go up to them and say, Hey, I know you don't know me and this might be weird, but I really just felt like God was saying X, Y, and Z. Or I needed to tell you X, Y, and Z. And then you have a moment where they're just, you know, crying and receiving and God's ministering to them or whatever. And then once or twice, I'm sure you'll have a moment of like them looking at you as if you're weird. But well done for trying. Because at least you're zealous. At least you're going for it. Rather try. And, you know, at least you mentioned God's name or Jesus or whatever. You, you got to try and do something. Rather than just sit there and go, I wonder what would have happened if I did actually step out. You know, I've prayed for two or three dead people. Two children, one, one adult. Had opportunities. We buried all of them. It's very sad. We did, we, it obviously wasn't the, the outcome we desired. But here's the point. I'm not sitting here going, I wonder what would have happened if I had prayed. The one situation we prayed for 45 minutes in the ER. The nurses were wondering when we were going to leave. <laughs> And they were like, Yo, he'll leave when he's done. <laughs> That's what the, what, what the son said. You know, because at least we tried. At least we went for it. We were believing it. We didn't see the results, but hey, next time we will. We're not going to get held back. We're not going to get held down because we're discovering more and more and more of what God's put inside of us, Himself. And today, you know, if I look back to those times a couple of years back when I had those opportunities and I, and I think to where I am now, I know a lot more. I can be a lot more fruitful. And so, you know, whenever we don't see things happen, it's important for us to, to kind of realize that we don't know everything. We never will know everything. There's reasons why. There, we, we don't understand everything. But we know that God never fails. And we know that He lives inside of us. And He's commissioned us. Yeah? The same thing when, with, when we don't know what to do in a situation, whether it's business or life or whatever. God's Spirit lives in me, and I can get direction from Him. And so this is why we're wanting to grow in the things of the Spirit, so that we can live a life which looks different from the believers, because we should be different from the unbelievers, that is. We are different than the unbelievers. But most Christians, you don't see any difference. Some Christians are even trying to be like the unbelievers. We should stick out like, I don't know what, <laughs> like something radical, like it's just like, wow, that is someone completely strange there. I have no idea where they come from, but they're just odd. But they're so happy. Why are they so happy? There's a world war going on. There's this, there's that, the economy, petrol price, whatever. How can they be experiencing such peace? And then they ask you, what are you smoking? And you're like, Jehovah Wanna. <laughs> it's a joke. But then you're like, it's Jesus. He's my joy. Amen? And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can experience you. We can have joy. The gospel is a message of joy. And it can permeate our whole beings and flood our lives. And we can experience you. And live in this place of overflowing with the Spirit from within. And we thank you for that, Father. Thank you that you continue to awaken our hearts, awaken our minds and, and our lives to the reality of our Christianity, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help us to realize that in situations that we come into contact with people this week, 
You in us is reaching out to them. We don't have to know everything. If you're ever in the Cape Town area, we want to invite you to come fellowship with us at one of our life groups or Sunday gatherings. You can find out more about Grace Life Rondebosch by email at info at gracelife.co or check us out on our Facebook page, Grace Life Rondebosch.